0: So just a few things about myself. Um, I'm a BC boy, moved here to uh, Saskatchewan about three years ago now with my family. Originally came to be a part of uh, Faith River Community Church, which is the church plant off of West Portal. I was the pastor there. Um, So we've been attending here now for about six or seven months. I love hockey. I love watching it, love playing it. I cheer for any Canadian team except for the Montreal Canadiens. So just so you know, sorry if there's any Canadians fans here. Um, I, I love mountain biking. That's something that I've always loved to do. So in B.C., it's very different, obviously, in Saskatchewan. We don't bike mountains here. You find valleys, and you go down them, and then you climb back out of them. In B.C., you go up to go down. Here, you go down to go up. And um, I haven't experienced any adrenaline yet since I've uh, moved to Saskatchewan, which is okay, except when you're preaching. There's some adrenaline when you're preaching not when you're riding your bike. But it's an honor to be here. It's a joy to be here. Um, Bruce and I have connections that go way back to Columbia Bible College days when he was the sports director there and I was a part of the hockey team and we've connected and, and been able to reconnect here again once we moved here. So that's been really special. And I really want to watch my time. I really sense that God has a message for us this morning and I want to make sure I'm able to deliver it. So I'm going to try to land my my plane here at the right time so that I'm not kicked off of the stage. So I'm just going to begin with prayer, and then we're going to dig into God's Word together. Dear Lord Jesus, we just praise you and thank you that you are here right now by your Spirit. We acknowledge your presence here. Lord Jesus, we just want to say that you are an awesome God. We love you. We want to give you all the honor and all the glory. Because Lord Jesus, all authority and all power and all wisdom and all understanding belongs to you. And we just confess again that everything we are and everything we have comes from you. You are everything. And we confess our need this morning to hear from you. We need your Spirit to again open up our eyes to see again the truth of who we are in light of who you are, and how we are to live within this truth and to walk together with you. So, please, I pray, speak to us through your Word. We pray this in your name, Amen. So, the text we're going to be looking at this morning is from Ephesians. It's Ephesians two, verse nineteen, into chapters three to uh, chapter three, verse thirteen but I'm not actually going to read this uh, and we're actually not going to look at that scripture until almost the very end. Because what I want to do is you know how when you at times have sung a song for many years and maybe for you who are, who are a little bit older, it could be a hymn or for younger people, it can be a song that maybe you've sung in church and it's very meaningful for you and, and the, the, the words speak to you. But then someone shares with you the backstory to this song and who it is that wrote it and what they were going through in their life at the time when they put their feelings into words and they expressed what was on their heart and this song came out of this experience. Often it's a, it's a time of difficulty or hardship. And then when you hear the backstory and you read it, suddenly this song takes on whole new meaning and it really begins to come to, to life for you because you now understand Place from which it came. And it's like it finds a context now. And it just the significance of it is expressed in a way it hasn't before. And so I don't want to speak what Paul is saying in these in these verses until I give you some backstory. Until I until I spend some time helping you to understand this incredible truth that Paul is going to share and where it comes from. It's almost like the whole book of Ephesians. He's been building towards this. He's been giving all the background, and now he's saying, as a result of everything I've said, now listen to what I have to say next. Because this is incredible. In fact, he will share in what we will read. and and that is What he he shares with them is actually the very reason why he is in prison. He says, you want to know why I have traveled for years? And I've been shipwrecked how many times? And I've been beaten and I've been put in prison and I've been mistreated and I've gone without food and without hunger. This is why, this truth, this is why I serve the way I serve. And so let me just give the backstory. In Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, God knew that as humans increased, that they would form kinship groups. Families would grow and they and, and the generations and it would multiply and eventually you have these large groups of people who are living in different environments from from each other and based on the environment in which they live they would have to develop different farming uh, methods and different farming implements with which to farm they'd have to learn how to gather um, food and store it whatever the contact in whatever context they were in they'd have to they'd have to develop ways of communicating marriage rituals. And over time, these practices, these norms would be passed down from generation to generation and they would eventually become the culture of this kinship group and even a culture of the nation as this kinship group would grow. And so you'd have these diverse groups of people with different cultures, different practices that were all distinctly different from each other in their own unique way. This is why theologians call this Genesis command to be fruitful and multiply and subdue or steward the earth, the cultural mandate. And these racial differences were God's intention from the beginning. The many races, ethnicities, cultures of the world started in the heart of God. And they together reflect the beauty and the variety of the image of God on earth. And so the world and all all in it were originally created as a unity. A unity in this diversity together meant to participate in the ever-flowing work of God into the world. But before these kinship groups grew and became distinct and different in, in culture, those of you who have read through Genesis and you know the story, you know that something took place before that ever happened. That is, that Satan he came in the form of a serpent. Remember, God had, had told Adam and Eve, you can eat from any fruit in, this, in the garden, but the fruit that the knowledge of, of good and evil, do not eat of that fruit. And of course, Satan, knowing that command, Recognizing it as an opportunity, he comes to Eve and he tempts her. And he courses her, not with, not with a stick, but with an idea. Satan always works in the realm of ideas. And so he, he says, Eve, you know, did, did, did God really say? Like, do you think that God really has your best interests at heart? When he tells you, you can't eat of this fruit. And of course, Eve takes the fruit and she eats it and it's good and she passes a piece to her, to her husband, Adam, and he, of course he eats a piece. And the fellowship with God is broken. And it's fascinating that for the first time, something worthless becomes incredibly valuable to them. That's fig leaves. Suddenly they have this urge to hide their nakedness, to, to use these fig leaves to cover up their shame, to hide themselves from God. And so sin entered the world. And from that point forward, it became the true problem of all humanity. And it remains that way today. In Romans 3, verse 10, 10 to 12, Paul says that sin distorts our character. He says, as it is written, there is no one righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All of our characters have been distorted. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. In Romans 7, Paul refers to sin as the law of sin at work within him. The Law of sin at work with this, within us, and as you know, a Allah has dominion. a Allah literally lords over a person Allah has the power to prov- provoke those who offend it to do what it requires it demands something of you, it coerces you and so Paul is not saying that sin is a written, commanding law as much as it is an inbred, impelling, urging law that Paul says is at work within you the moment you want to do something good. What is right there with you? Evil is right there. Urging, compelling, trying to control, trying to lord it over you. In Romans 8, verse verse 7, Paul tells us that that the very nature of sin is enmity or hostility towards God. And it opposes, always opposes, the work of grace. So you have to understand that when Jesus went to the cross, He destroyed the power of sin, but He never changed the nature of sin. That's the deception of the enemy. Sin is not a mistake that you make. Sin is enmity against God. It is hostility against God. John Owen writes in his book, Sin and Temptation. He says, enemies may be reconciled, but enmity never is reconciled. Indeed, the only way to reconcile enemies is to destroy enmity. When we think of God as the lawgiver, of God as God as holy, as the author of salvation, then we see how deadly serious is the enmity of sin. Here's where much of the power of sin lies. It admits no terms of peace. And so that's why Paul writes in Ephesians 2, he says, You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Like the rest, you were by nature objects of wrath, because Sin by nature is hostile against God. It admits no terms of peace. And so, throughout history, we have nations rising up against nations to establish dominance and control and superiority in their hostility against God, they they seed resentment and hatred and contempt into the, the very cultural fabric of their nation. Fathers passing down this resentment and contempt for others who look differently, who function differently, who are of different ethnicity, they pass it down to their son and they pass it down to theirs. And norms and customs and traditions based on hostility and violence and anger and disdain are passed down from one generation to the next. And the differences of race and ethnicity and culture become barriers and dividing walls of hostility. And so we come to the time of Jesus and Paul. When Paul is writing this, and to most Jews, people of any other ethnicity or culture or race other than their own were considered pagan dogs who polluted Jewish purity. They were unclean outsiders, and any outstanding Jew would have been taught to avoid them as much as possible in everyday life. For Jews, the very mention of a Gentile was obnoxious. They hated the Gentiles and everything associated with them. If someone from another race or ethnicity would ask them directions, they would refuse to give them. If they knew one of them was thirsty, they would not lead them to a well. As one commentator said, if it ever happened that a Jew married a Gentile, Jewish parents often carried up funeral rites for their sons for their son or daughter. Others are saying, you know what, we're gonna treat you from now on as if you're dead. You're no longer my son. You're no longer my daughter. Norms and customs and traditions based on deep-seated resentment and hatred and contempt passed down from generation to generation to generation in Romans 3:23 says all all have sinned all have sinned fallen short of the glory of God so the nature of The problem determines the nature of the solution. In 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In John 1, when when John saw Jesus coming, he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Revelation 5, verse 9 and 10, it says, This song is sung to Jesus in the heavenly realms. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Those who are living in hostility and hatred and resentment towards others. And these cultures with deep-seated contempt for each other. He has purchased them. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes into the world. And we read in the first two chapters of Ephesians, this is what Bruce has been talking about, and Kevin has has spoke as well. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes into the world, and we read in the first two chapters of Ephesians how the death of Jesus on the cross, and His resurrection, how wave after wave of God's grace, because of what Jesus Christ has done, The greatest accomplishment in human history is what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection. And because of that, wave after wave of God's grace begins to wash onto the shore of humanity's greatest need. And it's like this grace, the energy of God's grace comes flooding into our world with unspeakable force, and the outgoing energies of the redeeming power and personality of God begin to change humanity. Through the cross of Jesus, through His blood shed on the cross, the enmity, the hostility between humanity and God is destroyed. And God adopts people from every race and every ethnicity through the price Jesus paid on the cross for them to be His very own children. And it gave Him great pleasure. All of humanity was dead in their transgressions, and slave to sin that would admit no terms of peace, and God redeemed them. He set them free. He made them alive in Christ Jesus, forgiving their sin through the bloodshed on the cross. And Jesus came and He preached peace to those who were far away, and He preached peace to those who were near, and through the power of the cross, dividing the wall of hostility between the Jews and all of the nations, making them one new humanity, and out of that humanity, reconciling both of them to himself through the cross. And giving both the Jews and people from every other race and culture and ethnicity access to the Father through one Spirit. So, there we have the backstory. And then we come to our passage in Ephesians. And as a result of what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection, something entirely new begins to emerge. And Paul said it's like a mystery that was hidden all through the ages is suddenly revealed. The manifold wisdom of God is suddenly made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. Something happens that has never happened before. And this is what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2. He says, Consequently, He's talking, he's talking now to those from every race and ethnicity. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with God's holy people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, you are being joined together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Or sorry, a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him you too are being joined together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. And then Paul says, for this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been made known through the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. That mystery is this. That through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promises in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things And His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. People from every race and ethnicity and culture, invited back into the realm of the triune God to together know and experience once again the love and the wholeness and the harmony and the grace that occurs and prevails and dominates within that relationship. God is inviting a people formed from every nation to participate together in the ever-flowing work of God in the world. His intention right from the beginning. A whole new humanity, invited to live within a community with norms and a culture and practices formed and shaped by the power and presence of the Almighty God living within them. As someone has said, We need to believe the truth about ourselves, no matter how beautiful it may be. You see, Paul saw his salvation not from an individual perspective, but he saw salvation as an invitation. And I pray that you can see your salvation as an invitation. Just as Paul did to become a servant of the gospel. By the grace that has been given to you through the working of God's power. That although you may be less than the least of all God's people, this grace has been given to you. To preach to the Gentiles, to all nations. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. That's what you've been invited into. Our salvation is an invitation to participate. In the restoring, healing, reconciling work of Jesus in a world that He began on the cross. And that He's continuing today. We are to be a community of people where love takes the place of the attack and distancing that inhabits the broken and sin-filled social structures of this world. A community where forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration occurs and prevails and dominates within the realm of our relationships. And then we are to reach out to the broken and to the lost and to the oppressed and we invite them into the way we do things around here. And so the question is, is that the way we do things around here? Can you invite someone who is lost and broken and hurting, and can you invite them into your home, into the realm of what is your marriage, to the realm of what is your family, and invite them into the, the way you do things around here, which is restore wholeness to people? To forgive, to be reconciled, to restore, to heal is that how you do things around here? Four times in the last two weeks, I've had to humble myself twice for my, to my son and twice to my wife and to say, could you would you forgive me?" In Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Jesus gives an illustration of what a transformed kingdom heart can look like. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's saying, He's over and over saying, This is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what these people are going to look like in this restored community. And he gives them the illustration of someone who is offering the gift at the altar. He says, Therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar, And you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. So in modern terms, it's like he's saying, if if you're in the middle of saying your marriage vows, or if you're right in the middle of your grad ceremony, or maybe of a baby dedication, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, you leave, and you go, and you be reconciled to this person. Then you come back. It says that is a kingdom heart. We're living within the 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 energy of God's grace, of healing and forgiveness. And restoration is of utmost importance. So I want to encourage you. Let us practice forgiveness. Let us practice reconciliation. Let us practice restoration in our church. Let's bring people in to this whole new way of doing things. This whole new way of living. This is how individuals and families and cities and nations are transformed. To be reconciled to God means to be reconciled with each other. When God wants to reconcile you to himself, what's he going to say? I want you to go make things right with this person over there. You know how you hurt? You know how you hurt that person yesterday? You need to go ask for forgiveness. What does he say? If you don't forgive, I can't forgive you. If you don't go forgive your brother, I can't be reconciled with you. You have to first forgive. That's what it looks to be reconciled to God. So you cannot tell me you're reconciled to God if you're not reconciled with others? What does John say over and over in the book of 1 John? You cannot be in God and hate your Christian brother or sister. You cannot. It's a lie of the the evil one. You cannot live in bitterness and walk together with me. So I just want to ask you, I just invite the worship team to come. Jesus invites you. He invites you into this work of His grace. This work of forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. So my encouragement for you is simply to be obedient to what God is showing you the next step needs to be. Whatever that is, you take it. And then he'll give you the next one.